Hi everyone, welcome to Human to Human. I'm your host Sarah Scher, and this is the very first season of the University of Manitoba's Anthropology Department podcast, where I hope to explore the topic of anthropology through conversation with faculty and students so that everyone can have a better understanding of what anthropology is and can be. This podcast was also created on a campus located on the original lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene people, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. As a podcast dedicated to anthropology, this project is also a part of the Anthropology Department's commitment to community engagement and research on the rich, diverse, and multifaceted ways of being human. Once again, I'm your host Sarah Scher, and this is Human to Human. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah, and thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Human to Human, which also happens to be the last episode of my series, which is a little bit sad, but my interview today is going to be a great conclusion to the series of Human to Human because I get the chance to sit down with Kayla Shaganash, who is also a fourth-year advanced undergrad student in anthropology here at University of Manitoba. Kayla is actually doing a double major in Indigenous Studies as well, and is currently the female co-cultural coordinator for the UMass Council on Campus, which is the University of Manitoba Indigenous Students Association, as well as she is the Indigenous representative for the Anthropology Student Association. In 2022, Kayla was also recipient of the Undergrad Research Award. So Kayla, welcome. I'm so excited to talk with you today, and please introduce yourself to us as well. Thank you, Sarah. Buju Anin, Nadizhnikaz, Kayla Shaganash, Nadojuin, Natamazakamik, Anishinaabeg. Pickmobert, Ontario, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty 1 Territory. So I just introduced myself in my Indigenous language, which is Anishinaabuin, as I identify as an Ojibwe woman, Anishinaabekwe. And the two places I identify as my home is my home community in Pickmobert, Ontario, and also Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty 1 Territory, where I was born and raised. Oh, thank you. So I'm so glad we were able to plan a time to meet and talk because... Last semester, we were in an online class together. Yes, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah, and it was anthropological theory. Um, But we did briefly meet in person at an outside lunch class get-together that happened during Ah, that time. Ah, yes, outside Megazee. Yeah, and what I remember about that is you smudge sage and let each of us take part in moving the smoke over ourselves. Oh, yes, I came, (laughs) yeah, because I asked Dr. L if I was able to, you know, bring that to the class and, you know, gift that and pass some knowledge on to everyone. And I remember, I think it was your friend, she said, I'm I'm in need of, you know, a good smudge. I'm in need of cleansing my soul. And she asked me, like, the process of, like, how to do that. So, kind of step by step how we roll the sage in like a, a circle of life and then lighting it begins the the life of the sage and then as we pass around uh the sage and let everyone cleanse themselves and have a good smudge those prayers go up to creator and our ancestors and our ancestors hear that and guide us through our daily life and our dreams yeah and for me it was so beautiful and also i thank you for sharing like a part of your cultural tradition with us of course um, because i also feel like at that time a lot of us were going through challenging times, especially with, with the pandemic. And I think a lot of us were also isolated at home. Taking a toll on our mental health, for sure. Yeah. And so that lunch get-together in person was just, I remember that was really meaningful for me. It was like the smallest thing. Yeah, but. I connected with everybody and kind of seeing everybody in person. It's like I've talked to everybody the last two years and to actually meet face-to-face and to have like conversations with each other. It, it was a very good experience. I I needed that for my soul. 
And it felt so good to hear, you know, everybody's different experiences within the class and all the different perspectives that they brought to the class as well. I'm so happy that I get to educate myself with everyone's different knowledge and things like that. Oh, so I'm really interested to learn more about how you came to study at the University of Manitoba and also to decide to major both in Indigenous studies as well as anthropology. Ah, yes. So uh, my father actually came to the university in the 90s and graduated in 99. So that was kind of like the stepping stone for my sister and I to pursue uh, post-secondary. And that was always uh, a conversation within our family growing up and things like that. So I always knew I was like, I'm going to go to university, but I just don't know what. So I came to uh, the U of M in 2010 to 2012, and that was, I like to call my first stint, so understanding (laughs) myself. And then I came back after a few years in 2019 before the pandemic. So originally, I was going to study um, psychology because it was around that time where I was trying to figure out who I was as an Indigenous person and an Indigenous woman. And it was just around the time where the term intergenerational trauma was introduced to myself. And I wanted to understand what that word meant and how I kind of see that within my life story. So as I studied psychology, I started doing like my own personal research at home. And the one thing I really found about was how I learned growing up. So Mm -hmm. I noticed I always needed extra help and things like that. And I always wondered, was that linked back to, you know, intergenerational trauma or, you know, residential schools? So as I educated myself here within that year, I initially wanted to do research on studies of the brain and Indigenous peoples. So how we learn, how we cope and how we understand uh, our trauma. And when I first took the six credit uh, psychology course, I think I got like a C plus and I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Okay, I was like, I kind of have to regroup. So when I was in the winter term 2020, when the pandemic like shut everything down, I was actually in Dr. Ben Collins course, the Ant 1210, the Origins and Antiquities. Yeah. So I started learning about like history and human evolution. And I was like wondering, I was like, well, where do I come from? What's my ancestry where, you know, family tree and things like that. So I started figuring, I was like, if I can figure that out for myself and apply that to my life and navigate myself through anthropology and be able to find a career, then I think I would succeed a lot more than in psychology. So I ended up getting a B plus and that was my first B plus. So I was very excited and my my family was ecstatic too because we literally just went online. So we had to shift all of our learning and things like that. So it turned out to be very beneficial. And after that B plus, I was like, wow, I succeeded. I was like, you know, I can I can go from here. So I scrapped the whole psychology program and things like that. And I just continued to take more courses in anthropology. And as I took those courses, there's a lot of different dynamics, a lot of different doors, opportunities that I can go through. And I find that anthropology is a very wide spectrum. So I will always have something to learn. I will always have something to be able to educate people on because my family asked me, well, what are you studying? And I tell them it's the study of humans because I know like with colonial views, it's the study of man. So I like to include women and children because they seem to be erased from the past, even though they are a vital piece of the past. That's that's an interesting story. Just a little bit about me. I also started in psychology and found myself in ah, anthropology later on. Wow. And so 
the point that you made about learning about yourself, wanting to learn about yourself, and then eventually transitioning mm -hmm. to a different discipline, I feel like I somewhat relate to that journey as well. Yes, for sure. And what about Indigenous studies? Did you always know that you wanted to major in that? Yes, because growing up, um, I grew up in the inner city of Winnipeg and also in the reserve system. So I noticed my childhood and when I talked to other people, it was mostly built on, you know, like survival mode. It wasn't uh, where I had like a lot of good opportunities like to go to Disneyland or anything like that. So being able to give back to my community because when I was growing up, the community gave me so much with like safety, a place to be, a place to belong. So I found that when I came back to university studying, you know, and helping my nation and helping my people, that was one part that was very important. And still to this day, I try to give back as much as I can. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so you're you're now focused more in the archaeological subfield yes, of anthropology. So what drew you to focus on that area of anthropology? Oh, I love history. Growing okay. up, I just I was very much like a history nerd. So I would always, you know, look at my one thing was like the war, so uh, World War Two and things like that, and just kind of relating those kind of aspects of genocide to my own personal history and seeing mm -hmm. those connections. So. I always hear the term like, you know, not to repeat the past, but I find that if we look into the past and learn from that, that's where, you know, we actually find these steps of how can we change things? How can we move forward from here? Okay, so it's really, to you, it's a history that's really interesting and important. Yes. And what would you say that you like about anthropology in terms of, you talked a bit already about psychology and how there was something in anthropology of the evolution and learning about your past. What would you say that anthropology helps contribute? I think there's a very good connection between um, Indigenous studies and anthropology because we do, you know, study humans. So what I always talk about is um, like truth and reconciliation and how I bring that to my studies. So I always speak about like the social and economic injustices that Indigenous people have faced since colonization. And I really find that as I speak more and talk about these, you know, very difficult topics, um, that's kind of what like keeps me going. So being mm -hmm. able to, you know, raise awareness about these issues of like murdered and missing Indigenous women or, you know, Orange Shirt Day and the meaning behind that and why we're, you know, downtown on Portage and Maine and having round dances and things like that. Because coming from such an oppressed nation, you know, it feels like we're always battling like this, you know, we want to be heard, but we're never going to be heard. Mm. And I kind of see that now with what's going on at the Brady landfill. So, you know, like, women being dumped and things like that there and as an indigenous woman it's it's very difficult to cope with that because it's very triggering as you know like statistics prove three in seven indigenous women face violence so that's one thing why I speak about what I speak about and why I'm so passionate and bring that to all my discussions. Oh, I appreciate you being thank vulnerable you. here. Thank you. Because I know that's that's a really difficult topic right now that's mm -hmm. happening in Winnipeg. And so my next question will probably tie into another one of my questions because I am interested, is there certain topics within anthropology that you're interested in studying after you graduate? But this probably ties in with the fact that you were one of the recipients of the Undergrad Research Award here at U of M in 2022. 
So could you share with us a bit more about who you did research with as part of this opportunity and what the project was focused on? Yes, for sure. So I was actually approached by a fellow student who uh, studies anthropology, has graduated now. Her name is Brandy Cable. She's a very good friend of mine. And uh, she actually had connections with Dr. Ben Collins because she was a recipient for the 2021 Undergrad Research Award. So originally we were going to research um, ostrich eggshells and okay. the beads and like trading routes and things like that, migration. And then Dr. Collins was in connection with another professor at the University of British Columbia. So they kind of had this idea to do a pilot project in Manitoba, which is uh, zoo MS, uh, zoo archaeology by mass spectrometry. So with that, uh, we kind of went with that plan because what I was told was that it was the first project ever done in Manitoba. So I jumped on it right away. I was like, (laughs) if I was like, yeah, if I could, you know, be the foundation of this, you know, research within Manitoba and really dip into the archaeological record and make, you know, a big discovery, then, you know, that's beneficial to my work and, you know, towards my family and recognition Mm -hmm. and things like that. So we actually selected uh, six different sites in Manitoba with 29 samples. And then um, those samples went to uh, UBC, where I was able to go there and work in the anthropology lab, which I'm super grateful for because um, a lot of youth like myself, like inner city youth, don't have these opportunities. So uh, Dr. Collins advocated for myself to really have this project because it was beneficial because there would be connections with Indigenous communities within Manitoba. And he felt that it was very important for an Indigenous person to be represented in this project and be, you know, like a liaison. So kind of speak with the community members and have like an understanding. So that was very important. And we actually just got our results. So we're disseminating those. And uh, we're actually going to, I think, work on a paper and have that towards uh, posted towards the public within the next two years, I'm hoping. Okay, wow, so, that's so exciting. Very excited because I'm actually the first author for this research. Oh, so cool. it's such a, like, it's a very big deal because a year ago when I was in talks with Dr. Collins about the undergrad research award, I kind of figured, I was like, I'm not going to get it. I have no shot. Um, my GPA is very low and I just, I was not too confident, but he really stepped up and advocated for myself and, you know, really Mm. stuck himself out there. And I'm very, very appreciative because it's not too often that, you know, anybody even has a prof to advocate for them on such like an important issue, such as research. So with that, um, we kind of talked like in the summer, end of summer, and we figured why not use this as like a stepping stone towards a master's project. So that's kind of where we're at right now, applying for grad school and things like that. So this project is slowly in the works. And I'm very, very excited because I get to work with Indigenous communities in Manitoba and be able to connect with my roots and also make connections and expose Indigenous people to anthropology and archaeology in a way that they can understand it. Yeah, and before I ask you about this grad research topic, I just want to go back to what you were describing the project, and you mentioned that you were taking samples. Could you yes. maybe explain like what a sample is and what that looks like in archaeology? Ah, yes. So a sample is I analyze different fragments of bones, and then to take a sample from there is to actually maybe like cut a piece off or things like that. So 
what we had to do was go into and get permits and things like that. So before we actually even went to do any sampling with the ones that we selected from the sites. So there was a little bit of waiting, a waiting period, which was interesting. It was fun because I got to educate myself on the background knowledge of a few of the sites that we uh, selected. And Dr. Collins um, allowed myself to select all the samples and the sites within Manitoba as well. So he really let myself be the leader in this project and kind of, you know, what should it look like and things like that. Are you allowed to share details of which sites or... Uh, well, we, yeah, because I actually did a presentation at the Manitoba Archaeological Society in October. Okay. So I presented on my work. And uh, from the top of my head, I know we did the Seven Oaks site, which is local within Winnipeg, uh, the Avery site, Seahorse Gully, Tail Race Bay. And there was two other sites, but I'm not too familiar with those ones. I kind of forget those ones. Yeah, that's okay. And I kind of chose these sites because they're all over Manitoba. I didn't want just southern Manitoba. I wanted northern Manitoba to be represented because that's where I lived within my teen years. I grew up in Thompson, Mm -hmm. Manitoba as well. So the north I have like a very good connection with. And that's why I chose um, a site that was close to Churchill. And do you know why these samples had to be taken to the UBC? Oh, yes. Because... uh, Unfortunately, right now, the U of M does not have space uh, for the analyzation portion Mm. of the zoo MS. So um, there's actually two labs in UBC, and I got to go to the one that we're allowed access to. And they actually sent the samples to, I think it was York University in the UK. Oh, wow. So they have connections over there. So our samples came from Manitoba, went to Vancouver and all the way over to the UK and came back to Vancouver. So very interesting. Yeah, it's crazy how anthropology and archaeological research involves so many different locations. and Definitely, and so many connections too. Yeah, so, collaborations, which is a really good thing yeah, to hear. Definitely. It was actually a little intimidated when I went to UBC because everybody knew I was arriving to come do work in the lab. Okay. So a lot of archaeologists, professors, they wanted to meet me. And I was very intimidated because I'm like, I'm just a, you know, a kid from the inner city, you know, like I'm an inner city mm-hmm. res kid. This is a lot for me. So to have such an important role and, you know, be a part of this project is very rewarding for myself because I get to t- have conversations and talk with different people who I never even thought I would meet and be able to hear their perspective and what they're doing for research. And what's your own family's perception or opinion on the fact that you were a part of this really awesome, important research project? Oh, my my family is super proud of me. My I try explain what I do and mm. my mother's like, in English, please. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to like break it down. And then I kind of uh, that was one thing I talked about in the Anth Lab. I was like, well, if I'm trying to disseminate all this research to the public and, you know, I'm starting with my family and trying to help them understand how am I able to disseminate to elders that only speak the language. So one thing I noticed within the research was that they had, um, within the Excel sheet, they had different columns. So for like the anthropological word of like bones and things like that. And I noticed, I was like, there's no section for like indigenous language. So with a bear, 
we call that Musqua. So having an actual section for Indigenous language and working with a language keeper to have one-on-one and be able to add like the correct words. I I told uh, Dr. Collins and Dr. Kelvin that's one thing I really want to include in my work and even have an abstract that is printed in Cree or Ojibwe so elders that are within these different communities can read that and understand well oh she's you know want to works with the community and repatriation and you know sacred items so having that one core section I found is something that really removes a barrier because even though I'm slowly learning the language I still find myself as my own barrier because I I'm limited to what I can find and what I can access as well. Hmm. That's that's bringing up a lot of critical conversations in anthropology in terms of yes. we do this research, but it's another thing to make sure that the communities where we are doing Definitely. this research are able to access what our results, what we're learning as well, <laughs> right? And language is a really big barrier a lot of the time. Yes, for sure. I found uh, even the resources I find online, like social media, they fill up very quickly because it is such a prominent thing, uh, like reclaiming the language. Sometimes trying to get into these online courses, it's like, oh, no, I missed the deadline. uh, You Mm -hmm. know, the capacity is full. But again, like it makes my heart happy because, you know, a lot of people are so willing and, you know, jump on things right away to, you know, reclaim the language and learn the language and be able to have conversations and, you know, keep it going for generations to come. So now moving into your your master's, you talked about how you have plans. Can you share a little bit about what this research topic is or what you're hoping to study more? Yes. So I am extending on the work that I've done in the Ant Lab with uh, the Undergrad Research Award. So uh, I applied for funding for Shirk for my master's. So fingers crossed. I'm just waiting for <laughs> yeah. that. The waiting process is a little, oh, it gets me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I just want to answer. But um, so with that, we want to extend the project. And instead of uh, six sites, we'd like to include more sites. So have a wider variety of uh, ZooMS analysis and be able to connect with different communities in Manitoba from the north all the way to the south and have their understanding and their take on the project. So if they would like to be involved and where we go from here. So a lot of community engagement will be a part of the project, which I'm very excited for because, you know, I'll get to meet different people and have conversations with different people who, you know, are are learning as well. And What I was told by Dr. Collins was that you're researching this, so you're the person who knows the most about this. So when people come up and have, you know, questions or comments or, you know, want to ask you a few things, that's your time to be able to express what you know and what you've learned so far. So I found that to be very important and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I get to explain that to, you know, community members and things like that and the importance of repatriation of sacred items, uh, cultural items, and possibly even ancestors. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that, because you said that you identified as Ojibwe. Yes. Do you think that the communities here in Manitoba would be more receptive to the work that's being done? Yes. Um, because you are Ojibwe? Or? Yes. So when 
I know for myself when I lived in my community and you know different people would come into the community and it was always welcoming and things like that so Indigenous people, you know, we always welcome people. And when we see ourselves represented in such a different perspective, such as academia or things like that, it gives us like a lot of hope. And it's like, yes, I'm I'm represented. I see myself and I'm, I'm proud of my nation being able to be represented finally. So uh, with Indigenous people, we always, we love to laugh. We have a lot of humor <laughs> and that's how we heal each other. Mm. So... You know, like sometimes you'll hear like anti laughs and things like that. And that's, you know, that's healing. So when we connect and like smile with each other and are open with each other and we see that and we're represented in these important positions in academia and things, that's very rewarding for ourselves. Oh, that's great to hear. So I guess I will move on next to the fact that you are a very busy person. Yes. And you are also a student mentor in the Nichiwakan Peer Mentor Program here at the U of M. Could you share with us a bit more about what this program is and why you wanted to take part? Ah, yes. Okay, so when I came to the university in 2010, it was actually called PACT, so P-A-C-T. And that was where we would be able to have time to express ourselves. So if we were struggling or feeling lost and things like that. And... I remember I broke down like I had a really good cry at that moment and my two mentors Tyra and Carrie they were really blunt with me they're like it's only gonna get worse and that ended my tears right then and there and I was like what do you mean and they're like it's gonna get worse but it's gonna get better because you're gonna understand how to study what you can take what are your limits so you're gonna learn a lot about yourself and right now you're in a rocky patch because you're just beginning this journey and I always took that with me after you know I left university and went to go work for a few years so when I came back and I decided to do uh, Nietzsche walk-in mentoring I kind of thought about that I was like how am I going to you know educate and be able to help a, a first-year student who is struggling far from home who is in a new space learning a lot of new things and on their journey to learn about themselves so throughout the years mentoring youth Um, with the current work that I do, I kind of applied what I call like a safe space. So, Mm. you know, just for the mentor to, you know, release whatever. So I apply that within my own life. So giving myself a safe space. And I kind of figured I was like, I need to apply this to the youth and those who I mentor because they may not have that. They may not have where they can express, you know, where what they're feeling and how they're feeling it and being validated in that. So that's what I bring to the mentoring program. And the one girl that I mentor right now, she's actually uh, studying anthropology. So we have like a really good connection. And we talk about like museums, libraries, you know, like a lot of the history things. And I really found like that spark. I was like, yes, I was like, I love this because it's such an easy conversation. And like, I'll, I'll start off. I'm like, how, you know, how are things with cl- classes, things like that? Do you need any help resources? So she's got it down pat. You know, okay, I could see yeah. her being very successful here and things like that. And she's very smart. So I'm very thankful that I was able to, you know, gift her whatever I in my experiences, but also what her experiences were as well. So what I could learn from her. That's a great point that often mentoring, it goes both ways. Yes. 
So if someone is interested, like a new student is interested in this program, how can they get involved? Uh, so the program is held through the Indigenous Student Centre. So usually there's a lot of posts on Instagram, Facebook and social media. So they share a lot of different things like that. And it's also passed around like through different student groups as well. So like student groups will share different things. And um, at ISC, if you go to the front desk, there's usually the uh, receptionist and you can ask about the program there. Okay, thank you for sharing those details. For sure. And as I mentioned before, you are also currently the female co-cultural coordinator for UMISA on campus. Yes. And I noticed when you were running for this position, you stated you were interested in bringing the opportunity for Indigenous students to connect with ceremony and traditions and setting up an opportunity for council members to harvest traditional medicines such as sage, cedar, and sweetgrass. So as a female co-cultural coordinator, First off, what is your role as part of the council? And could you also share why it's important to you that Indigenous students are able to have a safe space to connect to parts of their culture here on campus? Uh, Okay, yes. So I just joined uh, the UMISA council uh, this spring, last spring actually. So I think it was May. We were all elected in. And we actually just changed the name from female co-cultural to, I think, co-cultural because uh, we were talking about like gender roles and things like that and two-spirited. So how people may not identify as male or female. So we wanted to keep like a safe space for the name of these roles, which is, you know, very important. And the connection with ceremony. So that was one thing within my life growing up that was very lacking. I noticed growing up within the inner city around, you know, 2000, we used to go to uh, the Thunderbird House for powwow club. And then that came to an end. And when I came to university, I kind of thought, I was like, what, how can I connect with ceremony on campus? Is there any resources to do that? So that was one thing I brought in my campaign was the importance of connecting with ceremony and just understanding the teachings that the different medicines bring to our lives. And I actually went for a ride um, towards Highway 6 and there's like Mm. an abundance of sage there. So I'm hoping that within the next summer, like a lot of us council members can have that time together to go pick sage. And I always call us matriarchs in the making because, you know, we lead with clear vision, good hearts, and an open setting as well. Have you had any ceremonies? Yes, so I have actually been connected to ceremony since 2018 when I started working for Shawinam Abinuji. So I started working with youth that are in the child and welfare system. And I found that that's one thing that the youth in care really love. They love being out in the land. They love connecting with themselves, their identity. And I really enjoyed that too. And I kind of thought, I was like, how, you know, how can I keep enjoying this? How can I implement ceremony into my own life? And I went to speak with an elder, Elder Carl Stone at the Indigenous Student Center. And there was a pipe ceremony, so I decided to go. And what he said was that when you begin your day, start your day off with water because water is ceremony. And water is life. You need to replenish yourself from the night before when you were sleeping and your body has been at a standstill. So in order to get your body going, drink water and to have like the fluids flow through you. And that's ceremony throughout your body. And I kind of thought about that and I was like, well, 
that connects to the campaign and you know the awareness of water is life and how without water or without ceremony you know it's very difficult to continue on in life I find that if I don't have a smudge every morning I'm I'm struggling mentally I'm struggling physically emotionally and spiritually Mm. so implementing ceremony in such a simple way as you know waking up and having a glass of water or having a smudge or you know just having a prayer to creator I found that keeps me more balanced and more at peace as well and you also mentioned so a lot of indigenous students do have to move Yes. away from their communities in order to attend university. And do you feel that a lot of those students find that the associations that you are a part of are almost like their family for yeah. them here in Winnipeg? Yes, for sure. So when I moved from Thompson and came to Winnipeg, it, w- it was a very scary time because I just became an adult and I needed supervision still as an adult back then, 18 years old, young, wild and free. So coming from such an isolated place and coming to such an urban community, you know, the shift is very real and it's very scary at times. So navigating ourselves as Indigenous students through such a like a colonial institution as well, that in and of itself, you know, the fear of succeeding, of failing, you know, a lot of Indigenous students are the first in their family to go to university as well. So the pressure of their family, like I'm a second generation university student. My father is the first and uh, him and I are the only two in our family. So, you know, it's a really big deal for Indigenous students to come to post-secondary and leave their home and leave all they've known. And also the connection that they have with the land and their community because they might not be able to access that here necessarily. Hmm. Do you think that there's anything that the university community or even other students can do to better help their fellow Indigenous classmates? I think um, like what we do, we, you know, the Amisa Council, we, you know, have a lounge where we drop in and we have hours that, you know, students can access. And I talk to different students in my courses and I even ask my prof, like, can I make an announcement? I'm a part of the UMISA Council. We take non-Indigenous and Indigenous members. So those who want to be an ally can sign up as well. So I always mention that within my courses because the more awareness and the more knowledge that we have of the student association on campus is better for maybe U1 students that don't necessarily know about the program. Yeah, I've noticed that as a thing, like there is a lot of resources going around, but it's, yes. it's another thing to actually get that information out there. Definitely. So we're doing a lot of social media posts and um, like we're sharing it to different student groups or, you know, like our friends and things like that. And like, hey, spread the word. You know, we have a safe space for students to come and access, you know, to come smudge and things like that. Or if they just need a silent place where they feel like they don't necessarily fit in. Because I know myself, you know, going to study at Defoe, it's very intimidating. There's so many things kind of going through my mind. But when I go to the Umissa Lounge, I'm like, this is my home. This is, you know, my safe space. Well, and I thank you so much for everything that you're doing here at the University of Manitoba and helping your fellow students. Thank you. I'm doing my best with, you know, the leadership and guidance that I have from everyone here as well. So I'm going to make us return back to your experience in the classroom for a moment. Okay. Is there any anthropology course or courses that you have taken that you really enjoyed during the past years you're in school? 
Okay, yes, there is actually a couple. I really enjoyed the intro to archaeology because there was a research paper that we were allowed to do, uh, I think, any kind of topic with archaeology. So very, very broad, okay, you yeah. know, wide subject. And I remember hearing that there was actually rock art paintings by, I think it is Barron's River or Blood Vein. So which is outside by uh, South Beach Casino, that kind of area. So there's actual rock art there. And that kind of piqued my interest. I was like, well, I'd like to do a paper on rock art. And so I did one on, uh, this is kind of hard for me to say, photogrammetry. Okay. Yeah. And understanding that. So how uh, they do analysis with the rock art and take, you know, samples and things like that. So it's actually like a 3D sample that they take with like a photo kind of thing and how they can date that, which was super interesting because I've heard of like a lot of different rock art within like Ontario where I lived and then also Alberta. So that kind of piqued my interest. And then also um, the theory course as well that we took together yeah. because uh, Dr. L like really allowed myself to express my lived experience and to validate my lived experience within academics and anthropology. and. She sent me an email and said, I'm so proud of like how you're, you know, using your voice and educating people and we need discussions like this. She's like, we need your lived experience because it's so valuable. And I've never had anyone validate that for me because I'm always talking about truth and reconciliation. And, you know, some people roll their eyes and they're like, there will never be truth and reconciliation. But like the work that I'm doing and the work that I've done so far within the last year, I beg to differ. And it's just the perspective that we have on that as well. Hmm. Would you want to talk a bit a bit more about the truth and reconciliation, the sorts of things that you've been working on or areas that you would still like to see improvement? Yes. So um, one area that I would like to see improvement in is the education factor, because I'm going into my master's and I've been very blessed to be a sponsored student for the last four years. But I know that a few of my friends and family members that, you know, really want to go to university post-secondary or college, they don't have the funding for that because, you know, certain communities are capped at whatever amount of students they can fund. And that's unfortunate because, you know, there could be somebody that has a lot of rich experience, you know, living from the land that can have a degree in land management or something, or even CRM and bring so much knowledge that, you know, they learned from their grandfather, which is oral history passed down. And with these barriers of education, it's unfortunate that, you know, some people miss out on that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yes, definitely. And how would you say anthropology has changed the way you view the world and the people in it? I actually think about this daily. <laughs> I'm kind of like, how do I view the world? So I remember like before, like viewing the world, like it was such a bleak space. But now I view the world as, you know, there's so much opportunity. There's so much I can learn. There's so much that, you know, can be gifted to me. And I feel like with anthropology opening up so many different doors for myself and so much different knowledge that I've learned, like the, the bio arc side and, you know, the cultural anth side and being able to see how these different disciplines, subdisciplines kind of mesh with each other. 
And that's one thing that is kind of being implemented within my master's project is how cultural anthropology and archaeology coexist and kind of mesh with each other and how they can be applied within Indigenous uh, frameworks. Okay, so so you do see a lot of hope yes. in the discipline. Yes, definitely. And uh, just the conversations I've had within the last year, you know, just seeing how people my age and the younger generation, how we acknowledge the indifferences and, you know, social, economic things that Indigenous people face and how allyship is very, very important with that. You know, I've had a lot of non-Indigenous people want to know about truth and reconciliation and want to know my perspective. So with that, it's very rewarding because they want to educate themselves. They want to, you know, change possible their perspectives or how they're educating their children as well. Well, I'm so happy that you found yourself in anthropology because, number one, I'm I'm happy to hear that to some extent, it, like you talked about how you saw the world as a very bleak place and now you're a bit more hopeful and you see all the opportunities for you. And I also think that anthropology really needs you. So I'm glad that you found anthropology because... Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. That means the world to me. (laughs) And my next question is, if someone was considering what courses to take in university, why do you think they should consider taking an anthropology course or even getting a major or a minor in it? I think uh, to take an anthropology course, I think that really would kind of shift people's views on how they look at themselves, how... They look at the world or how they even experience different things within their daily lives. So I know for myself, it really changed my perspective and helped me understand more things about the world and, you know, my role in the world. So I think taking an anthropology course is very rewarding because you get to see a different side of humans that you would have never been able to before, which I find is different, but it's needed. Could you speak a bit more about the role that you're talking about? Uh, That's the role of leadership. Mm. So to lead with a clear vision to have everyone, you know, their perspectives heard and understood and validated. And kind of I go back to what did I need growing up? What did I need? What do I still need? So things like that always come into my mind and I try to apply that within my life and be the best leader that I can be and take that from my parents because my parents are my first teachers so my father is very humble with how he leads my mother is very strong with how she leads as well their perspectives and their understandings I take from that as well oh that's so sweet thank you well we are close to wrapping up our final interview here and Kayla it's been so wonderful to chat with you today and I really really appreciate it Um, And your involvement with Indigenous student life here on campus as well as anthropology department is so important. So I thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So before you go, I have a couple quick questions. And these are just supposed to be fun to get to know you a little bit more personally. So what is one of your favorite places on campus to spend your time or to do some studying? I would have to say my favorite place on campus right now is Migazi Agamic because they have so many resources. It's such a beautiful space to be in. It's so welcoming. And, you know, I feel like I'm home there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it's it's a home away from home and I'm taken care of there. 
Yeah. See, I hadn't heard of that place until you had suggested it for that lunch get together in that class. Okay. So that was my first time going to see that place. And it has like, does it have a mosaic floor with a turtle? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is so beautiful in there. And I also noticed that it's it's a great space for students to come together. Like they kind of make it so that students can like study together or push tables together. Yes. Eat their lunch there. It's almost like a community center feel where you can drop in, put your bag on the couch and it's safe to keep there. People come and go. And that's actually where we were hosting uh, the anthropology beating events. Okay. So that was last spring and last summer that we were doing that. And uh, what is one food or dish that you really enjoy eating? Spaghetti. Okay. Yes, because I, I love cooking. Like, I, I literally will not let my partner cook unless it's just burgers. <laughs> okay. But I, I love being in the kitchen. I love cooking. So seeing my mother always cook and, like, the amazing meals that she would make growing up, you know, like, her spaghetti recipe, I'm like how can I perfect this? Like, it's already perfect, but I want my own little spin on it. So that's one thing I've been working on. And is there a language that you would like to learn? Uh, So I would like to learn my own two indigenous languages, which is uh, Cree and Ojibwe. So I kind of know like the basic hello, goodbye Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But uh, I would really love to be able to have like, a conversation with my grandmother because um, she's the only living residential school survivor mm. and she is like a language keeper even though she doesn't acknowledge that she is and just to be able to have that bonding moment with her you know yeah. to listen because growing up I always heard her speaking and I'm like what is she talking about you know like I, I want to know and things like that, like always like as a child, I'm like, I want to know. So, you know, being able to have that moment with to conversate with my grandmother, I think that would be really, really special. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing. And thank you. I wish you a great academic year ahead. And I, I also see you doing a lot of valuable things in your future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. So this brings us to the end of the final episode here on Human to Human. I hope that after listening to some or all of the conversations in this series, you were able to gain a better understanding of what anthropology is and also gain a deeper appreciation for the kind of work that anthropologists do. If you are new to anthropology, well then thank you for joining me on this series and taking the time to learn something new. And if you were already an enthusiast of anthropology, well then I hope this podcast at least continued to spark your interest for the subject. Overall, it's been a fun time making this project and being your host and talking all things human. I would further like to give a special thanks to the people at UMFM for providing me with the space and equipment to make this podcast possible and letting me hang out and eat snacks in possibly the coziest place on campus. As well as thank you to the Department of Anthropology for funding this project and of course Dr. Laura Rosanoff-Gauvin, Dr. Warren Clark, and Dr. William Flynn at Carleton University who've been some of my supporters in making this project happen. If you want to hear some of the previous episodes from this series, Human to Human is available for listening on some platforms. We are on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, as well as YouTube. If you like this episode or have any questions, it would be great to hear from you in the comment section. We also have an email that you can contact the podcast through, and that will be included in the description box down below. Once again, this has been your host, Sarah Schur. Take care, everyone.